0: kind a of question, and this is this is what I was talking about earlier when I said if you're not going to laugh, we're going to have a rough morning. You guys didn't, you guys get dark humor at all? Like, 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 are we going to be okay if if Derek's a little bit dark funny, or at least tries? It's okay. I said I'm going to be funny, so it's, I'm not going to be funny now. <laughs> I jinxed that mess. Oh boy. All right. Well, here's the thing, guys. 2018, the year 2018 was terrible. Can you relate? Oh yeah, oh yeah, (laughs) hang in there, hang in there, hang in there. I'll come back to you. 2018, not the ideal year, anybody? Anybody? Let's own it, let's own it. Okay, fine. So since I figure at least half of you are gonna be on Instagram all morning anyway, let's just do it together, shall we? Let's spend some time on Instagram, let's see. I'm, I'm finding more and more that, that the temperature of our culture, where our culture is, uh, can be found um, on social media, but mostly by following parent groups. Like, uh, kids are the worst on Instagram is a, is a funny one for me. It's pretty liberal, so you might watch out, but like some of these kind of things. And I can get to feel for people my age and what they're thinking and how they're feeling. And so I'm gonna share some, some Instagram posts that I found earlier this week with you guys. Uh, is, that, is that all right? We're cool? Like I said, you were going to do it anyway. Might as well do it together, yeah? (laughs) All right. Switch the page. Oh. Oh, no. Kendall, I might have to have you do this. It's not playing nice. There we go. Okay. Why is my little dot not going away? What did you guys do? Yeah, I'm trying to make it go away. There we go. There we go. Okay, I swear 2018 was the longest year ever. Black Panther came out. People ate Tide Pods. That was wonderful. Uh, no one knew what color the dress was. Was that this year? Uh, Flappy Bird got deleted from the App Store. Wait a minute. Y2K happened. Oh, and Richard Nixon attempted to bug DNC headquarters at the Watergate Hotel and tried to cover it up. that all No, it was a long year. The idea is that it was a long year. Do I need to explain, am I gonna have to explain everything? Okay, let's find out what this next one says. I think 2018 tried to kill everyone. Can we relate? Anyone, anyone relate? Look guys, I did not have the ideal year, okay? I spent Thanksgiving planning a funeral with family, okay? We're not super stoked about 2018. And I wanna give you freedom to experience these emotions because you're probably feeling them anyway. Let's just air them out. Church isn't about hiding things and making ourselves look good. It's about experiencing reality, unpacking reality, and letting Jesus heal that and put it back together the way it's supposed to be, okay? So let's play the game, okay? Okay. (laughs) Kendall, can you go to the next one for me? You're not over there. For some reason, this is not working. It worked fine when I tested it. You're fine, okay. I particularly like this one because if you don't know, the guy on the left is the Pope. And the guy on the right is the father from uh, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. (laughs) So I think that's funny. Here's one for you. Me in 2017. 2018 is going to be my year. I'm going to be a positive person, be more productive, socialize more, and work harder. Actually me in 2018. It was a wonderful year. How about this one? 2019 will probably be the last year that ends with teen for the rest of our lives. (laughs) See, y'all are laughing because on the face it's funny, but really what does that mean? We're all gonna die. (laughs) Every year, I sit down with somebody and we have a conversation. And they're like, man, this year this person died and this person died and this person died. And they're talking about like, like, like uh, uh, idols, like heroes, like, like movie actors and actresses and stuff. Like last year we lost uh, um, Princess Leia, uh, Carrie Fisher. Yeah, and then we lost Stan Lee just a little while ago. And, and I'm like, dude, that's called time. <laughs> like the Lion King taught us about this. It's the circle of life. That's what this is, circle of life. So I think it's funny, it's hilarious, but it's also true. I edited this one for you. Heck was not the original word. 2018 is almost over. I gotta say, what the heck was that? Uh, Here's another one. As 2018 comes to a close, let's all just look back at the past year, just say yikes and move on. I'll let you read that one. I think it's big enough. Talk about a positive outlook on our future. Yeah? <laughs> Seriously, though, are we there? Is that where we are? We're like, oh, 2018 was so terrible, but 2019's coming. <sighs> right? That, that's, that's what all this kind of leads to, isn't it? And of course, I already mentioned this out of order, but I'm seeing a lot of this kind of stuff. Excelsior. Rest in peace, Stanley. We will miss you. Oh, this one's here for some of you. Uh, actually, not for me, for you, but it. You have like the funny people, and then you have the person that wants to trample on the funny people. This is that guy. He passes a note. I understand you guys probably can't read that. But it says, 2018 didn't stink. You just didn't go do anything to better yourself. You didn't do anything to better yourself in 2018. It wasn't a bad year. You just didn't do what you were supposed to do. Maybe it's true, maybe it's not, but there's trolls out there. That guy was a troll. Speaking of trolls, there's this game that came back this year. Gotcha, Toby. For those of you that don't know, this is a game where um, people, kids walk around doing this. And if you look at that, beneath the waste, um, uh, you lose. And when I was a kid, you got hit a couple of times for it. But uh, the youth kids have been playing that for the last three or four months and it's been killing me because I lose all the time. So I just like ultimately won
1: because,
0: all right. Below God's waist, this is, this is God's from God. This, this, is, this is not for me. And then this is a, a final one. Uh, just kind of, again, looking towards the future. Here I am on the ground, 2018 is taking me out, 2019 is in line, and 2020 is right down the path, ready to go. <clears throat> it's not just the next gen that feels this way. Okay, we think that Instagram is full of teenagers? And it is, they're doing other stuff though. Because what we find out is with social media, the the more adults get into a social media platform, the more the kids will find a new one. So Facebook is mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, aunts and uncles, and the kids have moved on. First it was Twitter. Now the parents got to Twitter, then the kids moved out of Twitter to Instagram. Now Instagram's getting full of everybody. They're moving on to other things, and so I have to follow them, it's terrible. But it's not just the next gen that feels this way. Okay, all these Instagram posts were people my age or older. They were all parents of teenagers and, 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 you know, people, adults. Adults are feeling this way. This is what our world is like right now. This is how America feels. These were the clean ones. <laughs> they brought in the clean ones. So as these emotions are becoming more prevalent today, the holidays are a little bit more the horror days every year. Because now we're not looking at Christmas with excitement. We're not looking at the new year with excitement, the chance to start something new. We're spending all of our New Year's, all of the holidays thinking about how terrible this year was, how much we're going to miss, and how much more 2019 is going to just eat us alive. And that, do we feel that way? You don't have to say, yeah, me. But again, this is church. Church is not where we come to be pretty and perfect. Church is where we come to rip the guts out of the machine and rebuild it. Okay? Okay. So today we're ripping the guts out of the machine so we can rebuild it. But these, these feelings aren't uh, new. They aren't new. In fact, these feelings, everything that we've been talking about so far is in the Bible. There's somebody in the Bible that felt this way and it wasn't a big sinner. It wasn't somebody who was terrible at their job. It was King Solomon. Possibly the wisest person to ever live had these feelings, okay? Having these feelings isn't wrong. Dwelling on these feelings, maybe. Dwelling on these feelings after you've been called out? (laughs) Definitely, okay? So Ecclesiastes 1, verses 2 through 11. Some of you already know where we're going. Hang in there. Again, let's not get dark, okay? This is supposed to be a little bit fun, a little bit funny. Solomon says... Verse 2, everything is meaningless. Feeling encouraged, church? Are you? Are we feeling encouraged? Everything is meaningless, says the teacher. Uh, As we read through Ecclesiastes today, we're going to be there a couple of different times. Uh, The teacher is Solomon, okay? Completely meaningless, he says. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets, then hurries around to rise again. The winds blow south and turn in—sorry, uh, the winds blow south and then turn north. Around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full, then the water returns again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. Everything is wearisome beyond description. Wow, Solomon, God's chosen richest man on earth, richest man to ever live. And this is how he feels. And God put it in the Bible. I would hope that this gives you freedom this morning. Freedom to feel. For generations and generations, we've been told that our emotions need to be bottled up, pushed down, pushed to the side. They're not important, that emotions don't count. But God gave them to us for a reason. And in this case, these emotions exist to spur change. Okay? Bad feelings spur change. It's like the bit in the mouth of a horse, right? When you pull to the right, it pushes on this side of their face, it doesn't feel good, so they turn away from it, right? Same idea. We have feelings to help keep us on track. Let's experience feelings this morning, okay? Where was I? Oh, everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. Sound familiar? Anyone? Talk to me. Does that sound familiar? Okay. Again, this thing can spiral super dark or we can keep the lighthearted feel about it. It's your choice, all right? Because we're going. We're we're going whether, yeah. Okay. Verse nine. History merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Even all these feelings that we've just been talking about Not new feelings. They're not new just because we have social media now. They're not new because this generation is so different from the last generation or the generation before that. These feelings come all the time. They're consistent, cycling, circling. Solomon knew what he was talking about. Sometimes people say, here's something new, but actually it is old. Nothing is ever truly new. We don't remember what happened in the past. And in the future generations, no one will remember what we are doing now. For pages and pages, the teacher goes on about the futility of life, love, pleasure, work, relationships, the justice systems, politics, and political power, wealth, all aspects of life are trampled on by the most wise man to ever live. Solomon was king between 970 and 931 BC, and the book of Ecclesiastes was written between 450 and 200 BC. So 2200 years ago was when these words were written, but it feels exactly like our current social climate nothing is new. See, I have found in my life, especially with the ADHD thing that I mentioned before, what I focus on dictates my feelings, dictates how my world is going. So if I am working on a project, I pour myself into that project. And if that project is going well, I feel good. If that project is going poorly, I feel bad. And I think that, I, that, that, that a lot of people can relate to that. And I think you can relate to that. So uh, I found in my life that perspective is key. If I'm having a bad day, I call Pam and she says, what are you thinking about?
1: Well, this thing's not going right. (laughs) None
0: of that matters, it's just whatever, it'll be done tomorrow. Oh, okay, and then everything's fine, right? Perspective is key. Logic helps me to focus on what is true rather than on what is popular, pressing, or loud, okay? All these things that I showed you, they're popular. And when everybody's talking about it, everybody's sharing it, everybody's experiencing the same dark mood, it's really easy because misery loves company, right? So it's very easy to get sucked into that. Um, If something is pressing, like urgent, like the government's partially shut down, that can really easily affect someone's mood and their, their attitude and their outlook on the future. Why? Because it's pressing, because it's urgent, because it's in your face right now. And then, of course, the things that are loud, okay? kid breaks his arm he's screaming at you there's tension there's pressure there's excitement there's adrenaline and he's screaming at you and this whole moment completely wraps up your whole life well i think that happens to us because our lives are so loud not necessarily volume loud but there's always input there's so much input all the time that we can't help but be that that, that, that our, our emotions and outlook can't help but be dictated and affected by all the noise in our lives that's why i thought it was so fitting um after Lorraine shared this morning that we just took a moment and just chilled. Just chill for a minute. We don't have to always be talking. We don't have to always be singing. Let's just chill for a minute. So that's what we're kind of going to do this morning. I feel like we may be able to gain some oh-so-precious perspective from our old friend Jonah. We will be reading out of the book of Jonah today. I'm not going to read the entire thing, but we are going to do a fair amount of reading. And I don't have a whole lot of time, so I'm going to push through pretty quickly, okay? so. Keep in mind, people, Jonah is not the poster child for anything, okay? We don't want to be like, oh, we need to be like Jonah because Jonah didn't really do anything right. He didn't. He really didn't. And, uh, but he's a great, this is how not to do it guy. So we're going to look at Jonah as as how we should not be doing this life thing, how we should not be looking at our future. Um, So in Jonah chapter one, uh, God calls Jonah. He says, hey, Jonah, I want you to go to the city of Nineveh. I want you to tell them that they've been bad. I'm going to wipe them out. And Jonah, knowing who God is, having spoken God's word, having been the mouthpiece for the Lord for so long, knew, knew God so well that uh, in verse 3 it says, Jonah got up and went the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. All right mouthpiece of God. Good work. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Now, um, this is a map. All the blue stuff is the sea. If you look here at the right, where, um, you know, I'm going to try this again. Let's just see if it works. Maybe it'll work. Okay, so you see right here? That is where he woke up when God said, hey, I want you to go to Nineveh right here. Just this little space right here. You guys see that? God's like, just go over there tell them I'm going to kill them all. That's all I want you to do. Easy. Just do it. Just do it. Well, the people of Nineveh were known for being a murderous, torturous, horrible type, scary people. And, and uh, Jonah was more afraid of them than he was of God. So he, he gets the, the word here. God says go. He says okay. Gets on a ship and starts heading
1: clear
0: over here. We don't know where Tarshish is exactly, but we think it was somewhere in this region. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Good job, Jonah. Wake up here. Okay. So he gets in the, Jonah goes, gets in his boat. He's in the boat. He's sleeping in the bottom of the boat. Meanwhile, God sends a storm after Jonah, okay. And I know we've all heard this story before, but we need to revisit the simple stuff because there's some deep truths in the simple stuff. And hopefully we're going to jump over some some of the things. We're not going to talk about everything that there is to learn in Jonah. There's tons of things to learn in Jonah. We're just going to talk about a few as we we burn through. God sends a storm. Jonah sleeps through it um, while the ship is being just destroyed by the waves. Finally, the captain runs downstairs. He's like, Jonah, we're going to die. How are you still asleep? I'm wondering if Jonah wasn't a teenager at this point, um, because sleeping, the boat's like going over. They were rowing the boat. The Bible says they were rowing the boat, so it had to be a fairly small ship getting thrown about in the sea, and he's in the bottom of a small, have you been in a fishing boat during a storm? Uh, He's sleeping. Okay, fine. I think he's 15. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, so... The captain goes down, what's going on? Eventually the crew decides they need to find out who is responsible for this storm. I wouldn't have gone there, I'd have been like, storms happen, but they weren't like that. They were like, we gotta find out who. So they throw lots uh, and and essentially God rolls the dice to say it's Jonah's fault. And uh, so uh, Jonah 1, 10 through 16, the sailors were terror, sorry, it's found out that Jonah was indeed responsible. and he had chosen to stay quiet the whole time. So he woke up, he saw the storm, he didn't tell him what he did. The sailors were terrified when they heard this for, for Jonah had already told them that he was running away from the Lord. Why did you do it? They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to you to stop this storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said. Okay. And it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is my fault. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to the land, but the stormy sea was too violent for them and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin and don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh Lord, you have sent the storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked up Jonah and threw him into the raging sea. There was no plank to walk that day. They picked him up and threw him out and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Interestingly, something that we can learn from this story that very much applies to our current discussion is the world will gladly help you run from what God wants you to do. Even if it means they suffer. Because what did Jonah say? They said, Jonah, how do we make this storm stop? What do we have to do? Jonah said, throw me off the ship. They were like, no, we can row harder, we want, to get, we want to help you, we want to get you away, we don't have the guts to help you die, essentially. Um, and it's like that, right? My father-in-law, twice in his life, packed up his family, sold everything that they had, and went on long-term missions, twice. Once when Pam was a teenager, and once um, after all the kids had moved out. And he was on missions for a year and a half the first time, and I think it was two or three years the second time, something like that. Uh, And do you think everybody in his life was like, yeah, dude, go for it? No, because that's crazy. It's crazy. You don't do that. Nobody does that. Nobody follows God. What? We should, but the world is happy to help you not, okay? So I don't know how this actually happened. I don't know the actual timing, but the way that the Bible reads to me, they throw Jonah out. He hits the water. The storm stops, and there's a boat and a bunch of wet guys like trying to catch their breath from all the rowing they've been doing and Jonah floating out there, the sun's shining and they're all just kind of looking at each other for a minute and then out of the depths a giant fish whoop, comes up and eats Jonah. Now, um, Jeremiah chapter 20 talks a little bit about this but in a different light. Jeremiah is talking about when he is obedient to the Lord, people don't like it. But when he chooses not to speak, when he chooses to not be obedient to the Lord, the word of the Lord burns inside of him like a fire shut up in his bones. He has to say something. He's like, on the one end, the world is gonna not like what I have to do and what I have to say, but on the other hand, I have to do it. God put it into me. So what does this mean to us? If God has put something in your heart or into your genetic makeup, into the way you are, you can't get away from it because it's in you. You ever try to run away from you? I mean, it's funny, it's like the dog in the tail, but I mean, you can't get away from you, right? He put it in you for a reason. You may be able to do something else, maybe for a long time. You might be able to do something else for your entire life, but you will always have a yearning to do what you were made to do. Here's your first notes. You can't run from your calling. This is what we learned from Jonah. Jonah tries to run. Now I'm not saying God's gonna chase you down with a storm, but I am gonna say that the storm inside of you that's telling you that this is what you're supposed to do with your life, will rage. Because God made each of us to be who we are, to do what we were called to do. It's in us, and we need to respond. So chapter two, while inside a fish, it is not quite possible to speak. Remember, this is not Pinocchio, he wasn't inside of a whale with, you know, sitting on a ship that the whale swallowed also and, you know, with a candle and a book and writing stuff down. It's, it's not like the cartoons. He's in a fish. Um, I've been fishing a lot uh, and sometimes if you catch a very large trout from deep in the water and if you bring him up too fast, he will vomit and sometimes if you catch a big enough trout, he will vomit big trout that are inside of him. And so. When we're talking about the fish and and Jonah being inside the fish, this is what I'm picturing. I'm picturing a guy stuck in the slimy innards of a gross, nasty fish, like this. I don't imagine that there's a lot of air inside of a fish that's underwater swimming around. Um, They're not built that way, right? But Jonah's in there for three days. And his heart has changed, I, I would hope. That I would do similar. Um, I would hope I didn't need to be digested by a fish to. I don't know. I don't know. It seems nasty to me, but Jonah's heart changed, and in in the book, there's a whole long prayer that he prays. I doubt he prayed it. I feel like that was in his heart. I feel like when his heart changed, God knew it. Um, I have always been very much a homebody when it comes to things like church stuff. I'm like, um, oh, somebody's going on missions. Great. More power to them. Give them a gift. Give them finances. We'll help them go. You go. You buy. I'll hold down the fort. I'll hold down the fort because somebody has to hold down the fort. Like Brent wanted to go to South America a couple years ago. I'm like, Brent, go. It'll be fun. I'll I'll keep things going here because I don't want to go. I've never, ever wanted to go in my life. I haven't wanted to go. I've never wanted to go on missions. And then, um, I never even wanted to leave the country. I mean, Canada's not really leaving the country, but I never wanted to go, I never did. It's not in me, again, it's not who I am, all right? We're being honest today, right? Uh, and so, um, like eight years ago, I was watching a show on PBS, it's called Mexico, one plate at a time, and this guy uh, goes through Mexico and he just does street food. And I was watching and I was seeing some of these things people are making, I'm like, okay, well, I don't want to go on missions and I don't want to go anywhere hard or anything. But man, if I ended up in Mexico City, that'd be all right. Because some of this food looks amazing, right? And I feel like it was then that my heart began to change because last Jan- uh, last January, July, sorry, last July, I got an email from Peter Henderson, our missions rep in our district. They said, hey, do you want to go to missions in Cuba? My heart was like, oh, I read it. And I went, well, Pam's going to want to go. Hey, I want to go. Cool. And then I had come to work and Pam and I, Pam had been asleep when I left to come to the office. And so I get a phone call later. She goes, hey, we going to Cuba? I said, yep, go ahead and email him." And that was it, that was the whole conversation. The whole decision to go to Cuba was, yep, we're going. My heart changed over time. So things for you to know, God knows your heart. God knew Jonah's heart. When God called Jonah and said, go to Nineveh, he knew that Jonah wasn't ready for that. He knew that Jonah was gonna turn and run the other direction. God wasn't surprised. But not only did God know Jonah's heart, not only did God know my heart, but he knew what my heart needed. He knew what Jonah's heart needed. Jonah needed to see that the God of the universe was much bigger than the city of Nineveh. And that being obedient to God is much better than whatever might happen on the other side. For me, God knew I needed time. My, my perspective on the world and my heart towards, towards people groups outside of my own needed to change, and it was going to take time. And he planted seeds over time for that to change. Chapter 3, God again asks Jonah. Oh, sorry. So Jonah's heart changes. Fish spits him out on the sea, on the ocean, whatever. Uh, sea. It was a sea. Spits him out somewhere. And then at some point, God says, okay, I want you to go to Nineveh. And there's some argument as to the time frame of all this, but it happens. And this time, Jonah decides to go. Good boy. Good job, Jonah. Way to, go. Way to go. So he goes to Nineveh. He tells the people that they're going to be destroyed because of their sin. Now, I understand his fear in the first place. These people were known as murderers. There was a good chance he was going to get killed, wiped out, tortured, thrown in a dungeon. I don't know, slapped with a fish. If you're into veggie Tales, he would have gotten slapped with a fish. Um... So I understand his fear, but he goes and he does it. And he says, you guys have 40 days. God's going to wipe you out. You've been terrible. And the people freaked out. They lost their minds. And the people started repenting and changing their ways. The king hears about it. The king of Nineveh, the guy who oversaw the whole thing, he hears that a section of his his population is is like something's happening within his city. And so he says, bring Jonah here. Jonah shares with him. Jonah says, hey, you guys have been bad. 40 days. God. (laughs) you're gone. And the guy goes, "Oh," and he freaks out. And they repent. The city has changed. 120,000 people change. Instantly. Let's take a note. Let's let's take a moment. Let's look at this. Was Nineveh a Jewish city? Were the people in Nineveh Hebrew? So they were all Gentiles. In the very Old Testament, okay? God has mercy on, all sinful, on a sinful people. This is a clear picture of the Father's New Testament heart in the Old Testament. God didn't change between the Old Testament and the New. The path to him changed. The covenant changed, but God's heart was always the same. Because God didn't wipe them out. Verse 10 says, when God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. God was quick to forgive. He loves to show mercy. Even in the Old Testament, mercy was always an option, not only for the Jew, but the Gentile as well. This isn't what we're talking about today, but I thought since we were here, I better point it out. Because that's something that we might skip over in the story of Jonah. We might not pay attention to the fact that God sent his Hebrew mouthpiece to a non Hebrew city to change their world. So, what God called Jonah to do and God's actual end game seemed contrary to one another. However, Jonah was learning what we must learn that obedience is our responsibility. Okay? Notes for you if you're going to write those down. I'm going to flash to the next one very quickly. So, obedience is your responsibility. You could say obedience is our responsibility. However, you want to write that, totally up to you. But the outcome, is in God's hands. So again, for the sake of time, I'm going to flash over this next section just a little bit. Jonah comes. He says, you're you're all going to die. They repent. God says, I'm not going to kill them all. Great. Wonderful. You think Jonah would be like, wow, look at how great God is. Nope good old Jonah. He's so good with the, the right choice and the great attitude. Again, Jonah's not the poster child for, for this, no, not even a little bit. This change of plans is uh, Jonah 4, 1 through 3. The change of plan greatly upset Jonah and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you were merciful and compassionate, God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager, eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. you imagine God being like, I should have left him in the fish. I should have left him in the fish. I should have left him in the fish. I should have left, left him in the fish. That's what I do, right? My, my kid goes, sits on timeout for a while. He gets up. Like two minutes later, he's doing the same thing. Jonah is kind of a weird dude. So the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? Guys, we experience this in our culture too. We open the church doors, we we minister to people, we invite people in. I have kids that sometimes come to youth that maybe aren't living the way that we would like to see them live. Um, But we want to give them opportunity to connect, to plug in, to be a part of things. And then I inevitably have more churchy people, better Christians, if you will, better Christians, be upset that this lesser Christian is allowed to be a part of things or to be involved in things or to sign up for things or to serve in different ways. Let's not be Jonah. Let's not be Jonah. because is it right for us to be angry about this? That's what God asked in verse four, Jonah 4, 4. Is it right for you to be angry about this? Jesus sh- shared that, um, that parable about the, the farmer who hires a guy to work all day. And the guy comes and he works all day for like some amount of money, I don't know. And then halfway through the day, he hires another guy. And he says, if you work for me for the rest of the day, I will give you the same pay as I've g- I'm giving everybody else. And the guy who had worked all day got mad. And God says, what does it matter to you? Our deal is still good. You're still going to get paid what we agreed upon. What does it matter to you what I give to this person? Okay, maybe I live my whole life as a Christian. Maybe I'm born into a Christian home, and I get saved young, and I never make a really bad choice. Maybe I never live a sinful life all the way through. Is it right for me to be angry when somebody gets saved on their deathbed? Is it right for me to, to feel upset when someone who lived a life that I wouldn't have chosen... Um, is given something good by the Lord. Is that right? No, because that's their relationship with God and he gets to have his relationship with everybody. He loves me, he loves you, I need to be okay with that because I don't want to be like Jonah. <laughs> and Jonah wouldn't have been okay with that. Uh, Jonah 4, or 5, Jonah went out to the east side of the city, made a shelter to, to uh, okay, I'm gonna slow down. Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. So Jonah is so arrogant that he thinks that his telling God, well, might as well just kill me then, is going to change God's mind again. Jonah's, okay, maybe Jonah's like four. Because that's kind of the, like, you guys see the child in Jonah, right? He's sleeping in the ship, and now, now, he's, now he's like, well, if you're not going to kill him, I, I'd just rather die. And then he goes over to the side of the city to say, okay, God, you're going to do the thing, because I manipulated you, and God's manip- manipulatable. Manipulatable. That's what he's doing. Okay, so he's sitting over here on the east side of the city, facing west, looking at the city, waiting for God to wipe it out. The Lord arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. What a picture of the heart of God. Jonah's over here being a child, acting like an idiot, and God's like, learning time to ease his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for the scorching east wind to blow on Jonah from behind, because he would have been facing west, so the east wind would have been blowing from behind. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished again to die. Jonah says, Death is certainly better than living like this. God says, I'm not going to kill these people. Jonah says, Well, kill him or I'd rather die. So then he goes over here. And then the sun and the scorching wind and and the heat and desert, like, terribleness comes on. And he's like, well, I'd rather just die than get up and go home. He didn't have to be there. He didn't have to be sitting there waiting for something to happen that God said wasn't going to happen. He didn't have to do that. He chose to sit there. Jonah 4.9, God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Maybe he is 15. This is all pretty melodramatic. I don't know. We need to get a date on Jonah's age during this time because he's, I mean, wow. Wow, guys, really? He's like, <laughs> I'd rather die. He's stomping his feet in the sand, I don't know. Then the Lord said in verse 10, Jonah 4:10 through 11, the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than hundred and twenty thousand people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all their animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? What is God saying? Jonah, see my heart. Don't be selfish. Don't be upset that everybody and their dog gets to get saved. Literally, actually, it says, and the animals. Everybody and their dog gets to get saved. Don't be upset about that, Jonah. Why don't you revel in the fact that I used you to save a people? Where's our attitude? Where's our perspective? Guys, again, perspective is key. Regardless of Jonah's attitude, his demeanor, his hatred, and frustration, God provided for him. God protected Jonah. The father was patient with Jonah as he taught Jonah about his own heart, his own father's, God's heart. What can we learn from this? As we go forward into the calling that God has for us, as we go forward into 2019, don't sweat the struggle. You're not always going to get it right. God honors the try. Jonah went out. He did the thing. He had a bad attitude. Did God smite him? Smite me, mighty smiter. No. God teaches him and trains him and loves him and takes care of him. So guys, you might not get it right every time. And today is not about making you feel bad about how you felt about the new year or any of that kind of stuff. It's about teaching you that God is patient. Everlasting patience from our father. If Jonah was my kid and started ranting about wanting to be dead, the consequences would have been far more than me growing a plant so he wouldn't get baked in the sun. The consequences would have been much different because I'm not God, but God is ultimately patient. God says, Jonah, we saved the city. That's great. Now I'm going to focus on you. And God focuses on Jonah, and he focuses on Jonah's heart. So final, final uh, fill-ins for you this morning. And what I want you to do as we move forward into the new year is embrace the crazy. I have lived my life uh, not by my own choice uh, in in embracing the crazy, but my mother. uh, The more we get to hang out, I don't know if I'm gonna get to hang out with you guys more, I don't know if I'm gonna get to do this more uh, or not, but man, if I got to, I would tell you about my mom a lot because my mom is the perfect embodiment (laughs) of someone who embraces the crazy. And anybody who has has, has met my mom or knows my mom or knows any stories of my mom, um, are gonna know that. When I was a kid, we were super poor, okay? Crazy poor, like um, we had this thing in Gillette called the emergency closet where you could get, used jeans for like a nickel and we would do that. And she was on food stamps and I remember she would like give me a, a food stamp dollar and say, go buy a five cent candy. And I would go buy the five cent candy and they would give me, you know, 95 cents change or 94 cents change um, in real money. And then I would take that back to mom and then she would put 95 cents of gas in the car and that's how we had, that's, that's how we did stuff when I was like four five, six years old. We were super poor, but you know what else I remember? I remember being seven years old and my mom seeing someone who needed a car and her giving a car to these people. We didn't have, but we were always giving. To me, that always seemed crazy. And then as I grew up, I just realized she's just doing what God does. She's just doing what God wants us to do. And you know what? We never went without, ever. We never, ever went without. We were talking um, the other day uh, about our favorite Christmases. And mom, uh, we all shared something you know, about a favorite Christmas and, and I had a super selfish story that is super funny, but not for today. And mom said, I remember the year when this happened and I, and, and, and I gave you these gifts. I said, I remember those gifts. I remember that year, it was a great Christmas. She goes, Derek, I tried to sell everything I owned to make a Christmas happen that year and I couldn't make it happen. So I ended up finding stuff like used somewhere and I was able to buy things. I was like, I didn't know those were used. They were wonderful gifts and I remember using them and loving them and it being a great time. Mom embraced the crazy, and God always provided. So um, she came for Christmas. Mom and my sister, uh, Shanika, and my sister, Lily. Lily's in a wheelchair, and Mom has a lift van for her. And uh, um, when we woke up on uh, Wednesday morning, and there, it was snowy, and things were getting kind of rough, I was like, Mom, she was supposed to go home on Thursday. I was like, Mom, maybe you need to go home tonight because uh, the weather's getting rough. And She said, yeah, I think so too. Uh, but she didn't get out until 4 or 5 o'clock, it's only two hours to Gillette, but she got, out, she got out late, and she said the roads were fine till about uh, um, Sundance, which you expect. If you ever drive to Gillette, you know Sundance is where things get rough. Well, she was about 10 miles this side of Moorcroft. She's driving her big, you know, lifted wheelchair lift van. Uh, it's like a Ford E something. I don't know. She's driving it, and somebody with a, a truck and trailer comes up in the passenger lane, in, or sorry, in the... In the, the the outside lane, the fast lane, and as they're passing her, the wind off of their vehicle pushes her van over. And, it knocked, and, and as she moves over, the rear end gets knocked loose. And so in standard fashion, she turns into the skid, right? Like you do. And I'm hearing this like the day after she, like I was on the phone with her the day that all this happened and we got everything figured out and, and everybody's fine, but she's, she's telling me the story. She says, so I was turning into the skid and at one point, I just went, wait, I need to turn the other way. Now I've, I, I do this every year. When the snow comes down and things get slippery, I knock my rear end loose on purpose so that I can again, so I can reacclimate myself to that feel so that I can always turn into things. And that's how I have a clean driving record because I drive aggressively. And I make sure to know what it feels like when my vehicle goes you know, sideways so that I can control that. And so my mom's turning into it just like you would do, like you're supposed to do. And something in her said, wait, I need to turn the other way. And so she did. That's crazy. That's crazy. You don't turn. That's what makes this happen, right? Mm -hmm. So she turns away from the skid. And she gets out later. And she's looking down the hill as the guy, like, had to have a tow truck come. She was 15 feet down in between the two highways. Uh, She was, like, down. And she looked at it. It was fairly steep. And she looked at it and she said, if I'd have continued turning into it, we'd have gone down the hill sideways and we would have rolled. Instead, the vehicle went back end first, straight down. Super clean, super clear, super safe. Nobody's hurt, nobody's stressed, no bruises, nothing. Because she embraced the crazy. And when Holy Spirit said, turn the other way, that's contrary to what I think should happen, she did it. Let's talk about Jesus for a moment. He's faced with 5,000 hungry people. What does he do? Uh, bring me a couple of fish and some bread, I guess, and we'll make that happen. Jesus was nuts. The guy was insane. He was totally crazy. A blind guy comes up to him and says, please heal me. Oh, dear Lord, heal this man's sight. Nope. He spits in a guy's face, uh, rubs some mud in it, and the guy is healed. Why? Because Jesus was obedient to the Father. He did what the Father was doing. So not only is Jesus completely insane, but the Father is completely insane, at least to the way that we tend to think, right? Right? So let's embrace the crazy moving forward. You know what else Jesus did that was a little bit crazy? This is gonna be a little bit um, cliche maybe, but Jesus saved me. To what point in purpose? I live with me, I know who I am, I know how I think, I know how I feel, but Jesus saved me. he's completely nuts. And we need to embrace the crazy with Jesus. So uh, let's go back to Instagram for just a moment. Uh, worship team, if you guys want to come up. Uh, can you see that? It's a classic. God says, go, just trust me. And it's like we panic as we go down the slide. Because God asks us to do crazy things, doesn't he? Stuff that just doesn't make sense. Things that we don't understand. You know, we started in kind of a dark place this morning with Ecclesiastes, and I want to finish in Ecclesiastes. This is uh, verse 3, or sorry, chapter 3, verses 9 through 13. Um, For the last uh, chapter and a half, two chapters or so, um, Solomon has continued to rage against the uselessness and for pages after this he continues to rage against all things that we do saying the life is essentially useless but there's a light there's a moment there's something that he says that changes the perspective of everything so Ecclesiastes 3, 9 through 13 stand with me please What do people really get for all their hard work? I have seen the burden God has placed on us all, yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. So I concluded there is nothing better than to be happy and enjoy ourselves as long as we can. And people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor for these are gifts from God. So guys, whatever joys and challenges 2019 may bring, let's not take the perspective that every day is just waiting around the corner to beat us down. Let's not live like Jonah, constantly frustrated by our attitudes about things we can't control. Let's take the more loving, sorry, let's take the perspective that each day is an opportunity to do better than we did yesterday. To be more loving to be more patient, to be more obedient. Let's try to remember that we don't know what God is doing any more than Jonah did or any more than Solomon did. Let's remember that we are blessed to be called into God's plans for 2019. Let's remember that with every choice we make, we can be living in fear of the future or we can be joyfully stepping into the new. So we're gonna go ahead and sing together one more time before we go. Is that all right?
1: the fortress. and you I'm fearless. In you I'm fearless. Oh, what can stand up against us? and you I'm fearless. of a thousand armies you hold this crown before me oh God oh your love is a fortress and you are fearless and you are fearless oh what can stand up against us you in you fearless in You, I'm this Perfect love, perfect love, cast out all fear. Perfect love, cast out all fear. In You, Jesus, in You, Jesus, I am victorious. In you I'm In you I'm
0: God we thank you so much for the opportunity that is the year 2019. God I pray that we would look forward with anticipation of what you're going to do and I pray that we would keep our ears and eyes open as we listen for where you're sending us and where you're calling us to go and what you're calling us to do. God we thank you so much again that we get to be on your team. In your name we pray. Amen.